Years ago, before even an apostle, President Eyring pointed out something he noticed repeatedly in the scripture. He noticed that the words, thus we see, are repeated throughout, especially the Book of Mormon. He said, quote, The writer will have recounted an event or described some fact. It will not have been an argument. It will have been a description. And then we find the words, thus we see. Then the writer will have stated some spiritual truth, something about the way God deals with his children, or something about what our life is like as God sees it. What went before does not prove the conclusion the way the world looks for evidence or logic. What went before is what someone with spiritual sight will observe, and then say, oh yes, now I see that. And then follows, after the thus we see, what that someone would see. In this episode, we dive into one thing that can change the way you see yourself, your relationship with God, and the world around you. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's study. Uh, I am alone this week, but I'm really excited because this block of scripture contains one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, and maybe even favorite stories in the entire canon of scripture. And so I really threw myself into studying this week, and as I did so, I noticed something that not only changed the way I read that particular story, it really impacted my life. Um, And so I wanted to share that idea Not because I think it'll be the highlight of your experience. In fact, I hope it isn't. As we have said quite often on this podcast, we don't ever want to be the highlight experience of your study. We want to begin a process for you, create an intellectual or emotional space where you then can receive revelation from God for yourself. So I want to share this thought because it led to some really impactful insights for me And I think it has the power to help us study the scriptures this week in a new way and gain some revelation for ourselves that could be really transformative. So, uh, the insight came as I noticed a, a, actually a Hebrew word repeated in three different stories this week. And I'm going to go to my favorite one of these. This is my favorite story, one of my favorite stories of the Old Testament, even though it's not the first one in this block. This is the first place I noticed the word. So Numbers chapter 14, in fact, you back up a little bit to Numbers chapter 13, and and in Numbers 13, we read that Moses sends spies into the promised land. Um, The Israelites have been, uh, they've just barely left uh, the Sinai wilderness. In fact, the book of Numbers is kind of the story of their leaving Sinai and wandering in the wilderness. At the very beginning of Numbers, we get the census. That's where the book of the title Numbers comes from, is they actually take account of the people that are there. It's also in the book of Numbers where we learn why, uh, well, learn that Israel will not make it to the promised land, that everybody but two individuals will die before they can actually inherit the promised land. And we learn the reason for that here in Numbers, and we'll learn that in our Come, Follow Me study this week. And so Numbers is a, a really pivotal book. 
And so in Numbers chapter 14, they've, they've left the Sinai wilderness. They've marched according to the instructions at the beginning of Numbers. And, uh, and now they're in a place where Moses can send spies into the promised land, to Canaan, to see what the land looks like and what it's going to take for them to possess the land. And so he chooses one person from each of the 12 tribes. Uh, in verse 16, we get a name that we recognize, uh, Hoshea, or his name is changed to Jehoshua or Joshua, who will, of course, be the prophet after Moses and will lead the Israelites actually into the promised land. So Joshua is one of those that will make it into the promised land. And then the other person that uh, is of note is Caleb from the tribe of Judah. Now, these 12 spies go out into the promised land, and then they come back. Ten of the spies give this report. This is chapter 13, verse 27. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, this isn't just them being afraid. Remember, this is the land that has been promised to them. And so they are essentially coming back and saying to Moses, we know that this is the land that's been promised to us, but there's no way that we can achieve it. And they start to spread that fear and that doubt to others. Caleb and Joshua give a very different report, and we'll get that in a second. But what I noticed is in verse 24 of chapter 14, the Lord uses a phrase to describe Caleb that has always caught my attention, but this time I actually dug into the Hebrew words to understand a little bit better what the Lord was saying. So verse 24, my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he dwelt and his seed shall possess it. Now that phrase, another spirit, I've always liked, but uh, I looked at the Hebrew word for spirit, and this is what excited me, because the word that's translated as spirit, I have seen throughout my... In fact, I've been tracking it, deliberately tracking it throughout the Old Testament. And the word is ruah. That word, translated as spirit, here in verse 24, shows up in many other places. Just to give you a few samples, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, at the very beginning of the book, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That word spirit is the same Hebrew word. A couple of chapters later, when we're talking about Noah in the ark, and it says that Noah brought into the ark everything that had in it the breath of life, the word that's translated as breath, is that same Hebrew word, ruah. It's sometimes translated as wind. In one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 5, when Ezekiel sees his vision of the dry valley and the dead bones that represent the, the scattered uh, and the dilapidated Israel, he asks the question, can these bones live? And the Lord answers in verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And that word breath is the same Hebrew word, ruah. So, to come back to Caleb, Caleb has something given to him by God 
uh, and acquired or retained through his faithfulness. Uh, some spirit, some breath, some wind inside of him that makes him different. He sees things different. He talks about things different. He is different. And what I want to look at this week is uh, that spirit, that breath inside of us and what it makes us think or feel or want to do. Now, there's the first story where that word shows up. There's two other stories, and we'll get to those in just a minute. But as you think about this for yourself, the question you might ask is simply, do I have this spirit of God in me? How can I more fully receive it or be aware of it in my life? And what does that spirit or that breath move me to think, feel, do, or become? Those are some questions that you can ask yourself and answer this week. What I want to do is maybe help us understand when we might have that spirit with us, whether these are ways to recognize when the Spirit, when the Holy Ghost proper is speaking to you or directing you, or whether it's a way to recognize whether or not your spirit is in alignment with the Spirit and the will of God. I want to point out a couple of things in these other stories that help us to see when we have Ruah in us. Um, so, story number one, going back to Numbers chapter 11. One of the other places where this word is used is when Moses calls 70 men to assist him in governing and leading the camp of Israel. And it says about them in verse 17, this is chapter 11, the Lord says, I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not thyself alone. Again, the word spirit is that same Hebrew word. What's interesting about this is these 70 uh, men, these 70 elders do take a leadership role in the camp of Israel and they help and they guide and they, they even prophesy. And uh, to emphasize the point that this spirit doesn't just belong to Moses alone. In verse 26, there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but went not out of the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord, Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. I love uh, Moses' response to this. I love that Moses' desire is that all people would have the same spirit that moves him to prophesy, testify, and lead in the name of God. Now, of course, there is a wonderfully balancing story to that in chapter 12, lest we all run off and say, great, God wants all of us to be prophets. We don't need prophets anymore. In the very next chapter, uh, there's that account where Miriam and, and Aaron critique Moses, the Lord is very clear that he does, even though he wants all of us to have the spirit inside of us, he does have a prophet among us. In verse six, he says, if there's a prophet, I will make myself known unto him in vision and will speak unto him in dream, essentially identifying that there is a chosen prophet to have keys and stewardship over the, the group. And so 
saying that the Lord wants us all to have this spirit, this prophetic ability is not the same as saying the Lord wants us all to lead the church. But it is saying uh, that the Lord is extremely liberal and wants to be liberal with this spirit. And so two things I pull from this story that can help us identify if we have this spirit in us. First of all, these 70 elders receive this spirit by ordination. They are they participate in, they're ordained by Moses to be a specific assignment or specific calling, we might say, in the camp of, of Israel. Um, we know that uh, ordinances and ordinations uh, carry with them spiritual power. In fact, we know a specific ordinance, that the confirmation ordinance giving the gift of the Holy Ghost, gives someone the, the gift of the Holy Ghost, the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, which could very well be this spirit that we're talking about. And so one way to know if you have this spirit in you is, have you received ordinances specifically the ordinance of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost that entitles you to have that constant spirit with you to guide and direct you. Um, In Doctrine and Covenants section 84 verse 20 there's a very famous line that says in the ordinances of the priesthood is the power of godliness manifest. We get this wrong a lot. We often emphasize that priesthood officers Uh, administer priesthood ordinances, uh, which is true in most cases. Of course, we know that in the temple, uh, women administer priesthood ordinances in the temple. But we often point to the, the power or the authority to administer an ordinance. However, that verse in Doctrine and Covenants, and this experience here shows um, that the power comes to those who receive priesthood ordinances. Uh, Case in point, when Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery go to the Susquehanna River to baptize each other, if you look carefully at the end of Joseph Smith's history, Joseph baptizes Oliver, and then Oliver receives the Spirit and prophesies. Not because Oliver just performed an ordinance, but because Oliver just received an ordinance. And then Oliver baptizes Joseph, and Joseph receives the Spirit and prophesies. Again, not because he just performed an ordinance, but because he received an ordinance. So again, one way to know that you have this spirit in you is, have you been the recipient of ordinances that promise you spiritual power uh, and connection to God? If so, then you have at least some portion of that ruah in your life. The second thing I noticed from this story is association with others that have that spirit can help you to acquire it or grow it more. So if you are spending your time with people who have in them the Spirit of God, you can't help but feel at least a portion of that and feel your connection to that Spirit grow. Um, The reason why I'm doing this episode alone is I have spent this last week at a convention for seminary and institute teachers in my area out here in the North America Northeast. And so there's 40 plus of us that have gathered together this week. And there's a lot of counseling and planning and studying. We're getting ready for a summer. There's always changes in seminaries and institutes. There's new curricula and new approaches and training methods. And so there's there's a lot of tactical, strategic counseling and discussing. But uh, one of the things that we're very privileged to do is to be able to study with each other. These are all people who strive regularly uh, to have that spirit in their life. And they're none of them perfect. 
but if, if I can be just completely personal and, and open, the highlight experience for me from this last week was being around people who consistently strive to have spiritual direction in their lives. It rubs off as an understatement. It deeply affects me. And so I can bear testimony of that one, uh, that association with others who have this spirit in their lives um, is one way that you know that you have that same spirit in your life. If you find yourself spending time with people like that, if you find yourself drawn to them, it's probably because you have that same spirit in your life. Now, the second story is the story of Caleb itself. There's two things I think we can learn from this story that help us to see or to know if we've got the spirit in our life. Um, there are some really unique things about Caleb that I just love. So uh, in chapter 13, I read the report that the 10 spies give, the one where they talk about how horrible things are going to be. But then I love what Caleb does in verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. Uh, He will explain his confidence in chapter 14. He says, They spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. Uh, I love, have always loved, Caleb's optimism, his peaceful optimism. I love that he stills fears and imbues people with positivity. What I noticed this time through is that isn't just something that's a personality trait that Caleb has. It comes because he himself is filled with this spirit. And so one way to know if you have ruah in your life is if you feel peaceful or you feel optimistic about, especially about situations that could be tricky. Um, a second thing we can learn from this is that Caleb's confidence and obedience comes, or confidence and, and faith comes because of obedience to the Lord. I read this already, but in that verse 24 in chapter 14, the Lord recognizes that Caleb followed me fully. And so you can see the chain here. Here is a person that is committed to being completely obedient to God's commandments. Because he's completely obedient to God's commandments, uh, he himself feels confidence in God's ability to direct and govern and guide. And so when he sees a difficult situation, that confidence comes through as optimism and as a, a still calmness that he spreads to others around him. Now, you probably can think, Uh, of people that have that same, exude that same spirit in your life. Maybe you're one of those people. Um, I think that's a great way to recognize that spirit that can be inside someone. I, maybe this is a soapbox for me, but I, I'm constantly troubled. Maybe it's, it's too strong of a word, but I have a hard time with, with pessimism. Um, and I think, as I notice, it, it's quite in vogue, even within the church, to be critical, snarky, pessimistic, to look for the flaws or the cracks or the, the ugly sides. 
Now, I'm not advocating that we ignore reality or ignore humanity. In fact, I'm a pretty big advocate for being open and honest and candid about ourselves, about our our religion, our faith, our history, um, our social situations, all of that. But I think there's a difference between recognizing and maybe even allowing and honoring humanity and focusing on the Lord and his ability to guide and direct with comfort and confidence. I think that spirit inside of us gives us the ability to do both, to be open and honest and to recognize uh, difficulties and trials, but also to focus on the Lord and to have inside of us a stillness and a confidence. And so I think that's another two other ways that you can tell if you've got that spirit inside your life. Or if not, maybe those are things that are motivating to want to seek more of that spirit in your life. The third story is a bit of a unique one. It's at the very end of our reading this week. um, And it's the story of Balak and Balaam. If you remember the story, Balak is one of these leaders in Canaan who sees the Israelites coming. He sees how big they are, and he gets really worried that they're now going to take over his land and and wage war against his people. And so he goes to Balaam, uh, who isn't an Israelite per se, or isn't in the camp of Israel, but obviously uh, is prophetic. And so he goes to Balaam and he says, essentially, Balaam, I want you to curse. I know that you have power with this Jehovah. I want you to curse them. And Balak has this uh, very interesting experience where at first he says he's not going to go. Then he says he will go. And because he says he will go, uh, an angel of the Lord stands in the way of him. His his uh, donkey or his horse stops and throws him off. And Balak hits his donkey and the donkey's mouth is opened and talks to him. And finally, he's able to see the angel in the way. And so he ends up going to, to Balak and instead of cursing Israel, He blesses Israel. In fact, he does it three times in a row. It's a really interesting story to read, and there's a lot of things that we can pull from it, a lot of wrestling and grappling to have with it. But at least one thing becomes really clear. At the very end of the story, Balaam does something different. At the very beginning, when the messengers from Balak come to him and say, please come with us, he goes to the Lord and he says, should I go? And the Lord says, no. And so Balaam goes back to the messengers and says, I have been forbidden to go. The messengers go back to Balak and say, Balaam's not going to come. And Balak says, go back. Tell him that if he comes, I'll give him honor. I'll give him glory. I'll give him whatever he wants. Go back and try and persuade him. And so the messengers go back to Balaam again. And this time, very similar to the Martin Harris uh, manuscript pages experience, Balaam uh, goes against what the original commandment was from the Lord. Well, here in chapter 24, uh, Balaam does something different. It says, When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. And to jump to verse 15, that same phrase is repeated and added to. 
He took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, The man whose eyes are open hath said, He hath said, which heard the words of God, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty. What intrigued me was that earlier in the story, Balaam has trouble with his spiritual eyesight. An angel stands in the way, barring him from going, and he can't see it. Now he has been through enough experiences and has been now filled with this spirit of God, this ruah, to where not only is he now obedient to the original commandment the Lord gave him, but he can hear clearly what the Lord is saying. He can see the vision of the Almighty, which I take to read, he can see what God sees. He now perceives the situation the way that God perceives the situation. And he has the knowledge of the Most High. He knows what God knows, at least in this instance. In other words, what has happened is that Balak uh, now has God's perspective. He hears and sees and knows what in this situation the Lord sees, hears, and knows. And because of that, he's empowered. Um, as I read that, I was reminded of the story of Nephi, the son of Helaman, in the book of Helaman, in the book of Mormon. If you remember, Nephi is given the sealing power, which he uses to cause drought and then to release that drought. Essentially, God says to him, I will give you my power. Whatever you say will happen. But the reason why God can give him that power is because of this. This is verse 5. And now because thou hast done this, meaning been obedient to what I've asked you to do, with such unweariness, behold, I will bless thee forever, and I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in works. Yea, even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. In other words, Nephi has in him the spirit that, that Balak has now received that allows him to see things, talk about things, view things and know things the way God sees, thinks, talks about, and knows things. Um, I've been thinking a lot about prayer over the past well, couple of years, but especially this past week, I've been studying it pretty intently. And a colleague of mine mentioned something as we were talking about prayer. Uh, he, he taught me the difference between petitionary prayer and conspiratorial prayer. Uh, petitionary prayer is where what the one we're most often used to. It's the prayer where we say, Dear Heavenly Father, please this, please that, please that. We're asking God to give us something. There is nothing wrong with that. We're commanded to ask God things. So that's not bad. But is different from conspiratorial prayer. Now, conspire has a negative connotation, but it shouldn't uh, because the Latin just means to breathe together, which I like in light of our context here with ruah being translated as breathe sometimes. And what it means, a conspiratorial prayer, is one where instead of peppering God with requests, we seek to understand his will and then Instead of asking him to do something, we ask him to tell us to do something. We are conspiring with God. This is the prayer where you say, not, Dear Heavenly Father, give me this or this or this. It's the prayer where you say, Father, thy will be done. Help me know what you would have me do. I feel like I should do this. Is that what you want me to do? Please 
teach me, guide me, open my eyes or open my heart, prompt me, remind me. Things that you're asking the Lord to guide your actions so that you can fulfill what he wants done rather than the other way around. To me, in order to have conspiratorial prayer with God, you have to have that spirit that Balaam now has. Um, whether it's through scripture study, through prayer, through uh, prophetic leaders and teachings, you have to understand the way that God sees things and feels things and understands things so that when we come before him in prayer, we know what his will is and we can align our will with his. So how do you know if you have that spirit inside of you? Well, one, it comes from doing what God says. And two, you begin to hear, see, and know things the way that God does. Now, that's a lot of ideas, a lot of ways to recognize, and it's only a few ways to recognize if you have this spirit inside of you. But to the degree that we do, we are then able to do what Balaam does in the very next verse in Numbers 24. He says this, I shall see him, meaning the Almighty, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. One of the most powerful and one of the earliest prophecies about the Messiah comes from a man who had to wrestle to get this ruah in his life. Hopefully, those uh, indicators help you to see to what degree you have it have that spirit in your life, to seek for it more so that you can uh, know what it is the Lord would have you do. Thank you so much for studying with me this week. Hopefully this idea, these ideas begin a great study for you, and we'll see you next episode.